0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. No one looks forward to the end of life, whether it's your own or that of a loved one. It's fraught with all sorts of complications associated with dying. We're talking about that in this segment. The Visiting Nurse Association of Greater St. Louis provides many services, including hospice care. It'll be part of a panel discussion tomorrow night on end-of-life issues. With me in studio to talk about these issues are Carol Emmerich, Director of Hospice Care for the Visiting Nurse Association of Greater St. Louis. Mike Roberts, whom you remember as longtime Channel 5 meteorologist, is the Manager of Public Relations and Communications for the Association. Nice to have you both here. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Carol,
0: and Thank Mike, you, Don. Good afternoon. Mike, good to see you again. Good to see you. Carol, let me begin with you. Uh, the title of your event t- uh, tomorrow night is called Soul Injury. I'm not sure many people understand what that means.
1: Well, um, you know, Don, in hospice care, we have really learned how to take care of people at the end of life when they have pain and symptoms. We got a lot of medications for that, but we don't have anything that really heals the soul. And many times when people get to the end of life, they start thinking about what's gone on in their Mm -hmm. life, had they lived a life that's meaningful. And war veterans, people who have been abused, people who have had uh, trauma and even insidious trauma over their whole life really need to have time to heal.
0: This whole thing got started. The soul injury concept got started with veterans, didn't it? That's correct. All right. And, you know, isn't it a little late (laughs) at the end of life to, to repair some of these damages?
1: Well, this is our message from visiting Nurse Association to the community is let's work on it now, mm-hmm. um, not wait until the end of the life. Um, and so we're talking to people about how to recognize soul injury and what to do about soul injury and how to get help, particularly the veterans um, who can seek help through the Veterans Administration. They've done a lot of work on this. They call this moral injury in, in their field. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what we want to get the message out.
0: But the application goes far beyond veterans, needless to say.
1: Unfortunately, it does. We all have things in our life that put a deep wound that takes a long time to heal.
0: Mike, uh, when you came into the room and we chatted for just a second before going on the air, I said, this is a tough subject to talk about, the end of life. And you took exception to that right away.
2: Well, you know, not violently or or it doesn't upset me, Don, but I have to say, that hospice gets uh, ingested in a way that I wish it didn't because there is an opportunity for great beauty. I was a hospice volunteer for a long time and my late wife, Ann, got cancer. We took care of her on hospice. And you know, that Hmm. prayer didn't get answered. Probably it won't for most people Hmm. who go into hospice, but you have an opportunity in hospice that you don't get if death comes suddenly. You have a chance to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. Every relationship has this flaw in it. It's made entirely of humans. Mm-hmm. And because humans aren't perfect, no relationship is perfect. And you have a chance during these hospice years. And at the Visiting Nurse Association, we we provide the clinical end of this at such a high level, but you yourself are now freed to say, gosh, I, I wish I'd have been a better husband. I wish I'd have been a better father, and to really walk this person through these last few steps of life. And just as a soul injury component to this part of the discussion is is this. You know, we did a panel discussion at, at uh, UMSOL back in November, and at the end. Most of the people in the audience, if not all of them, were in one form or another associated with hospice. But this woman raises her hand and she says, I just don't really belong here. My loss is uh, that I was divorced after 27 years. And I said, you absolutely need to be here. This is something that you will carry with you at the end of your life. It is a big loss and you need to grieve that loss. So how do you –
0: walk this person through that process? In this particular case that Mike just uh, just advanced.
1: Mostly done is just giving people a safe environment where they can share and they can talk um, and they can confess this. Um, and so when you get the hospice staff there and they get a relationship with the person, um, the walls kind of come down.
2: That is so true. You know, I w- as a hospice volunteer, one of the things that shocked me most was how much a person would tell me, but you know I, I came to understand well i 'm safe I wasn 't in a relationship with this person for three decades or four decades, and when I leave, everything they tell me goes with me and in a soul injury um, journey what we're, what we 're trying to do is we 're trying to see if this person has anything a that they want to talk about and b that they 're open to mm-hmm. talking about, and then through that inquiry to gently ask them if it's, if it's something that they feel safe talking about That's going to be in an exclusive conversation that will go no further. And if they want to literally get it off their soul or chest,
0: is there a special training that's necessary for someone like yourself as a volunteer and being a party to these conversations?
2: There is. That's what the discussion and the panel discussion is going to be about. Don. It's going to be you will you will begin the process of understanding a how to approach the topic Mm -hmm. in the first place, and then b what sorts of um, Landmines there might be that you could step on and and then and then see um, how how does this person do this and they're, 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 we reach a point in the evening where we are asking folks to literally ask the person they 're talking to their hospice patient to embrace themselves mm-hmm. you know to 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 ease the pain by just embracing themselves yeah. it would seem to me
0: that uh, Certainly the training would be necessary for conversations like this. But one of the things that uh, that would come up to be unaddressed issues, let's say estrangements from from loved ones, uh, things that had not been said that they folks wish had been said, it takes two to tango. Don't you have to have the, that other party there to make this happen?
1: Well, you do. And, and this is the myth. This is the myth that we all live with is that we're going to wrap our life up in a nice tiny book. Oh, And it doesn't happen. Uh, People get to the end of their life. They're stressed. They're they're ill. They're tired. Uh, People's emotions are very high. It's a very difficult time. And so, no, uh, we don't always get to the goal that we want to get to.
0: Is that your responsibility? Would it be your responsibility of a person who is dying saying, I want to get together with my daughter whom I haven't seen in 35 years? Do you have a responsibility to try to find that daughter and bring we into the: would, room?
1: We would move heaven and Earth to make yeah. that happen if that's what the patient wanted. And, and I think that is the beauty of hospice, is that while it can seem like a morbid, sad profession to be in, it's really a joyous time for people, and um, we, we really want to help people that live their life as fully as possible, all mm-hmm. the way to the end. So we will, we will take people uh, to the casino. <laughs> we'll take them to the bar to meet oh, with their right. buddies. You want to go golfing? Um, you know, once you're in hospice, you're, you're free to do all of that, and we do try to make that happen. And we have a whole team of people doing this when we talk about experience and what it takes to help somebody through that. We have social workers. We have chaplains. We have uh, volunteers, nurses, physicians. It takes a bunch of people. So many times the person who
2: you're trying to get let go of something, has just never felt comfortable talking about it. I, I, I saw a story about this these two young guys who started a film project. They put a booth up at a mall in Atlanta, and they asked you to go in and tell your life story, and then they would animate that. And mm-hmm. one of the people who'd, who came in right away was this World War II veteran who'd been in the Battle of the Bulge. And he said, I was... 22 years old i was on the perimeter it was a clear night i heard something in the snow i looked up it's this german coming toward me i told him to halt twice he didn't i killed him Hmm. and when i went out there to look at him in the moonlight he couldn't have been 17. he had blonde hair blue eyes and he was the most handsome young man i've Hmm. ever seen and you know i slept well that night but for the rest of my life he's been in my dreams he had never talked about that before now, part of it is he didn't talk to people because he didn't want to burden them and but part of it don he'd never been asked mm-hmm. well this is someone you spoke to. This was a part of a film project right. that I, I i a story that I saw.
0: How do you know what to ask i mean who who would dredge something like you, that up with a stranger? Well, you, you have just no
2: idea. you have to ask this question: is there anything mm-hmm. that you would like talk about. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's, it's, it's really, it's okay to say these are going to be your last days. Mm -hmm. Is, is I, is there anything that causes you distress that you'd like to talk about?
0: That's another thing, Carol, that, that I wonder about, about being in, in a hospice situation and being told more than once, I'm sure these are your last days. I would think that that would be something you'd want to avoid saying.
1: People want to know; they do. You know, we're a society. Don't they know? uh, They do know, and even you know, more often we get somebody who says, "Don't tell dad he's dying." Mm -hmm. And so, as soon as we're in the room with dad, he tells us he's dying. And so, people are trying to keep uh, another person from being hurt. So let's keep it all a secret. But they feel so much better when they know that they don't have to walk this journey alone, and we don't have to pretend like this isn't happening. And once we get it out in the air. It's done,
0: you know, if you would, I think a lot of people might have been surprised when you talk about taking Dad to the casino or going mm-hmm. to see his buddies at the at the <laughs> local bar. That they don't really understand what what hospice care is. I think a lot of folks probably picture it as someone on the verge of death in a bed, just waiting for the grim reaper. Uh, explain what that room is like and what the environment is like, typically
1: really hospice care is a benefit that's a medicare benefit that is for six months uh, to the end of life we get people that stay in hospice sometimes a year sometimes two years Uh, I had a person who was 102 and stayed in hospice till they were 105. So (laughs) as long as you're terminally ill, you you get to be in Mm -hmm. the program. Um, Hopefully we get people sooner than later. I know people say, oh, my uh, mother went into hospice and she was dead within two days. Hospice must have done that. But the Mm -hmm. fact of it is doctors wait too late to refer to us. So the earlier we get people, the more we can uh, start working on what we need to do to help somebody wrap up their life. So... Our hospice nurses visit a couple times a week. The aides come a couple times a week. Again, I said chaplains and social workers. And our people don't have to be homebound. They can go to the lake. They can go on vacation. Many do. Um, we're helping them, as I said, live life to the end with dignity, um, with all of the things that they want to do, and we just help them along with that. We get all their pain and symptom out of control. They no longer have to go to the doctor, the hospital, sit in waiting rooms, and they're so happy to finally be able to take over the steering wheel again.
0: Mike, if you don't mind talking about it, tell me about your experience in in that. It's very personal, I know, and if you don't want to, I understand. No, but I, just... don't,
2: I don't mind at all. Um, Ann and I were married for 34 years. We were both on a, a really deep spiritual journey. I had been a volunteer as a hospice volunteer for a long time before and caught cancer like people catch a cold. Mm-hmm. And what I was in training, Don, Linda Zavelli at Unity Hospice told us all, you know, sometimes Our volunteers end up taking care of their own family members. And I was a young man of 48, and I thought, oh, that's never going to happen to me. Mm. But then Ann was diagnosed with cancer in 2012 on my birthday. And a year and a month later, she had passed away. But she didn't go into hospice until January of 2013. Once we went into hospice, because we had that time, She had so many friends, Don, that Mm -hmm. came by the house every day, at least a couple, sometimes uh, a dozen. We had six or seven masses set at the house. Our daughter, who lives in Kansas City, was able to come home every single weekend. And, you know, you talk about the opportunities that come and that are beautiful in a hospice journey. This made me see my daughter. Mm Not like she was three with a bow in her hair, but like the woman she had become whom I needed as as providing input from a woman to care for her mother. It was it was just beautiful, Don. And because I am a person of faith, I thought, well, uh, I signed on for this. This is my chance to serve and for the rest of her life and walk her the last ten steps to Jesus. And that is exactly how we did it. Mm. Is hospice
0: care always provided in the home? It's not, is it? In nursing home. It's
1: wherever the person lives. No, I mean their own home. Yes, in their own home.
0: Uh, Again, I think there's an impression that I had that a hospice was a place outside the home that people went, kind of like a hospital ward or what have
1: you. Yeah, you're not alone in that. Most people think that it's a place that you go. Mm -hmm. Um, People are quite shocked when they find out that somebody has a terminal illness that they're going to be the nurse for their loved one, and so we spend a whole lot of time teaching people how to do the nursing things um, they people and unfortunately, you know our our children don 't even live in the same state with mm-hmm. us, so you know we have to bring people together, we have to set up schedules we may have to get private duty services for people um, I just people are just so surprised that. The government or whoever they think is their insurance is just going to send somebody to take care of somebody until the day they die.
0: I should have asked this a moment ago when we were talking about it. You say the insurance covers for six months. What happens if a person, that 102-year-old, does live to be 105?
1: (laughs) Well, we keep them – we keep them. <laughs> we actually, though, do have graduates of hospice. I know that's hard to believe, but I have a, two of them a year that graduate from hospice. Sometimes they get on. We get them all happy, taken care of, pain-free, uh, and they don't seem so terminal. So they come off until they, till they're they ready to come back on again.
0: There was a famous case of that. Art Buckwald, the uh, newspaper oh, really? columnist, mm-hmm. was in hospice for a good long while, so the full six months finally got up and left and lived for a <laughs> couple <laughs> of years and, and wrote about it, you know, in his typical, typical fashion. As time winds down, there's one issue here that I think we should put on the table, and that is the, the growing uh, movement today for assisted suicide mm-hmm. under these conditions. I mean, there are a lot of people talking about that in a lot of states which are writing laws to this regard. What's your take on that, Carol?
1: I think that People like to have that choice, but even in the states that have assisted suicide, very not very many people take that option when they actually can, mm-hmm. but they like to have the option. It's very hard for us to lose our our bodies, our image, you know, our, we're very vain, and people just don't understand what's going to happen to me at the end of life. Once they get that information, mm-hmm. and we've talked to them about it, and we've walked them through that, that fear kind of leaves and when the fear is gone people are more ready to face this and i'm not i'm not a proponent of that uh but uh, i certainly understand where people want that
0: mike i would have to uh, think given your your faith you would not be a proponent of it
2: oh I, I absolutely would not um and i think that that's where we have to just be patient there's another there's a precursor to hospice which is palliative care and that is when you're your you're not conceding any battles, but you're also not going to radiation uh, five days a week for a month. And palliative care is is a good place to analyze, you know, when to go into hospice and whether. But hospice, like I say, Don, it it can be a beautiful journey. We have this event coming up on Thursday evening, and. I think people can find out a lot more about it.
0: Mm. I'll just let folks know that's uh, between 7 and 8.30 tomorrow evening at the uh, St. Louis County Library Grants View branch. Carol, what specific – you mentioned uh, some of the things happening at the event tomorrow. What else is uh, is going to be taking place in terms of the panel discussion and subject matter for people to talk about?
1: It is – Specifically on soul injury, we do. um, It's a video. We do stop the video a couple times during the night to answer questions. Uh, We spend time afterwards. People have a lot of things that they want to talk with us about. Mike and I will be available, and we got cookies for
2: people. Mm -hmm. I'll moderate it and (laughs) introduce the topic, explain soul injury briefly, introduce the panelists, then we'll watch a video. Then we'll have a discussion, and we'll do that three times.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's something people should be talking about and planning for. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about directives and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other part of the discussion. Carol Emmerich, thank you so much for being with us. Carol, of course, is the Director of Hospice Care for the Visiting Nurse Association of Greater St. Louis. Mike Roberts with us, also uh, with that organization. Thank you, Mike. Good to see you Thank you, you again. so much, Don. Archive versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs are available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Don Marsh.